So this morning, I just could not leave our dear friend, John Newton, in the dust. So I thought, oh, just, just one more letter to share with you guys. So um, during his pastoral ministry, he did many, many letters. Um, obviously, they did not have texting back then, did not have even phones to call each other. So um, a main source for pastors to be able to share things with their congregants was to write them letters. And I just thought one of those pastoral letters, he later collected them and they published them. But um, I thought one of them, we don't know who it was to, but it had some helpful insights when considering our Christian walk. So this is what he said. He's speaking to the person that he's, he's writing to. I can truly say that I bear you upon my heart and in my prayers. I have rejoiced to see the beginning of a good and gracious work in you. And I have confidence in the Lord Jesus that he will carry it on and complete it and that you will be amongst the number of those who shall sing redeeming love to eternity. Therefore, fear none of the things appointed for you to suffer by the way, but gird up the loins of your mind and hope to the end. Be not impatient, but wait humbly upon the Lord. You have one hard lesson to learn. That is the evil of your own heart. You know something of it, but it is needful that you should know more. For the more we know of ourselves, the more we shall prize and love Jesus and his salvation. I hope what you find in yourself by daily experience will humble you, but not discourage you. Humble you it should, and I believe it does. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as a hope that poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinks of you? But let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he casts none out that come to him, why should you fear? Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. Most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. And these evils are not removed in a day. Wait on the Lord and he will enable you to see more and more of the power and great grace of our high priest. The more you know him, the better you will trust him. The more you trust him, the better you will love him. And the more you love him, the better you will serve him. This is God's way. You are not called to buy, but to beg. Not to be strong in yourself, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is teaching you these things, and I trust he will teach you to the end. Remember, the growth of a believer is not like a mushroom, but like an oak 
which increases slowly indeed, but surely. Many sun showers and frosts passed on it before it comes to perfection. And in winter, when it seems dead, it is gathering strength at the root. Be humble, watchful, and diligent in the means and endeavor to look through all and fix your eye on Jesus and all shall be well. I commend you to the care of the Good Shepherd and remain for his sake yours, John Newton. So as we consider the evil of our own heart, for more we know of ourselves, the more we shall prize and love Jesus and his salvation in our passage in Romans, Paul gives us three commands of our service and reveals to us that who we obey is who we serve. So go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. There wasn't love. It's if, but if you Google John Newton, and I think the title of the, um, actually, Peggy, if you text me later, I'll just send you a direct link to it. Would that work? Do you have, still have my number? Catch me later, babe. We'll talk. But, um, but yeah, if you do John Newton letter, and um, I think the title of it was the, um, our sins are many, but his mercies are more, which also makes me wonder, hmm, I wonder if somebody got inspiration there to write a song. So, John Newton wrote it first, I'm just saying. Okay, so Romans 6, let's start at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the member of your bo- members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But... Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. First, sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know? That when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So here, Paul is unpacking for us something else we need to think about as we move forward, as we gird up the loins of our minds and get ready to attack individual, subtle, respectable sins in our lives. We need another layer of, okay, Yvonne has talked to us about who drives our desires. And then we talked about, okay, who am I trusting in? And then this morning, we're going to talk about who am I serving? 
So Jensen's survey of the New Testament says Romans is Paul's masterpiece, a key that unlocks the door to vast treasures of Scripture. People who have read and studied this epistle cannot find words sufficient to describe its worth. The uniqueness of Romans is not for its telling a different gospel or new teaching, but for its spelling out the ABCs of the gospel in Christ in clear, full scope so that there can be no question regarding any important aspect of that gospel. So in chapters 1 through 3, we have God's holiness in condemning sin. Then chapters 3, verse 21 to chapter 5, we have God's grace in justifying. And then starting in chapter 6 and going till 8 shows God's power in sanctifying believers. So earlier in chapter 6, Paul has asked the question, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then in verse 11, he answers, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. So as he continues on in verse 12, Paul is going to give us, number one on your outline, three commands of service. Three commands of service. So we're going to be walking through these three different commands here in which it'll help us answer the question to ourselves, who are we serving? Who do we serve? So that first command is A, do not let sin reign. Do not let sin reign. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Now that word sin there is a personification of sin. Sin is not a person, but there it's a personification. He, sin is personified as a destructive and depraved principle reigning over unbelievers and persisting in believers, especially as a slave master doling out payment with the currency of death and decay. So that's where Paul's driving at. This is who, who quote unquote, who sin is in this verse. And then that word reign there means to exercise the highest influence, to control, so when he says, do not let sin reign, he's saying, and this verb in the Greek, ladies, is what's called a present imperative, which I know you're probably like, that's wonderful. What in the world does that mean for me? But a present imperative, grammar is great, guys. So we need to know our grammar, and it's important, especially in the Greek. So this present imperative it means do not let sin continue to reign as it did before salvation. So he says, therefore, do not let sin in your mortal body, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. So what does he mean here by lusts? That means an evil craving, an inordinate self-indulgent craving. And it displaces a proper affection for God. That's what makes it so evil. 
it's it, this craving you have and you set aside your affection for God because you're craving whatever it is you're craving. And just like Yvonne taught that first week in James 1, 14 and 15, it says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to death. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It gives birth to sin. I think I said death. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Titus 3.3 brings another layer here. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating one another. So this is once what we were. But Paul hears and encouraging the churches in Rome, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you're going to obey its lusts. And he unpacks it even a little bit further in the next phrase that he tells us. In our second command, B on your outlines, it says, do not present your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not present your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Look down at verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So that word presenting the, there means to offer, to make available or accessible, provide or furnish. So, and again, we've got another present imperative. It's, we can see it a little clearer here. Do not go on presenting. Do not continue to present or stop presenting. So Paul here is saying, don't make yourself available. Don't make yourself accessible so that you are instruments of unrighteousness. That word instruments there. Originally, any, it was any tool or implement for preparing a thing, but it also became used in the plural for weapons of warfare. So don't be used as a weapon in warfare. Don't allow the members of your body to be an instrument of unrighteousness. Far too often, ladies, are we not just reactionary in our days? We get up and whatever hits us first is what we do, whether it be children coming and begging for breakfast because, you know, they are starving, or a husband who can't find something again, even though it's still in the same place that it's been for 20 years, or just the needs of the day. I need to do this, and then I need to do this, and I need to do this, or our own frailty of our own bodies that couldn't sleep the night before, so we're waking up groggy and just not even wanting to get out of bed. Just, just putting the feet on the floor seems a monumental task. And we react. We react, and we react. Situations, circumstances come, and they press in on us. And far too often, we react without careful thought. So here we are just gut reacting to our day. 
Or maybe it's we're talking with someone and we just love being right so much that we don't care if the way we're reacting is sinful because you know what? We're right. We justify our thoughts and our actions instead of bringing it under the submission to the truth of Scripture. So how do we obey this command of Paul? How do we not present ourselves available, our members of our body available to be instruments of unrighteousness? Well, I thought that little list that Jerry Bridges put together at the end of the chapter was so helpful. So as an instrument of review, so it keeps fresh in our mind, because I know I struggle keeping anything stuck in there, but I loved his process. So as we are not making ourselves available as instruments of unrighteousness, what do we do first? I'm actually going to see if you remember. We apply the what? Talk to me. Gospel, good. So number one, we apply the gospel. So we preach the truth of Christ's sacrifice on earth and on the cross for us. What has Christ done for me? The value of him walking this earth, suffering, suffering the payment for my sin, How do I need to preach the gospel to myself in this moment? So instead of just knee-jerk gut reaction, something happens to us, it's, whoa, 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 stop. Okay, I need to think through and apply the gospel to myself. I don't have to sin. I need to not make myself available. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Because, lady, it's only through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit we are made alive and have all we need for life and godliness. But if we do it on our own, what are we going to do? We're going to be instruments of unrighteousness. Number three, recognize your responsibility. Excellent. So we apply the gospel. We depend on the Holy Spirit, but we also recognize this is me. It's not his fault. It's not hers fault. It's not my body's fault because it's falling apart and crinkly. And it's not, you know, the bank's fault because they made a mistake in my account. No, this is my response. My responses are my responsibility. I think I need that on a poster. My responses are my responsibility. So yes, life might bring things to you and some of them might feel very, very overwhelming. And yet how I respond to them is my responsibility before the Lord. Number four, identify specific. I would accept various as well, Andrea. (laughs) identify specific respectable sins because isn't it true ladies that's why I'm so excited to do this but isn't it true those are the ones that kind of fly under the radar where you're like you know I'm 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 doing okay some of those big ones that I had to deal with early on in my Christian walk I mean that some of it's still there but the big stuff praise God I've I've had a measure of victory I've moved on 
but then it's those little subtle selfishnesses or little subtle low-key anger going on or low-key self-absorbed thoughts going on that just fly under the radar. So definitely identifying not just, yeah, I'm, I sin and I struggle so much with sin. True, but you're going to be a lot more effective in battling sin if you say, I am dealing with anger in my heart that I need to kill. So therefore, because of that anger, I need to, and the next one, memorize and apply appropriate scriptures. That's right. God has provided all scripture and all scripture is profitable. But too often do we lay hold of the promises in scripture to apply them specifically to our hearts. And I do think sometimes that's where we have a disconnect. We know the truth of scripture. We are well taught. There is great teaching going on on Sundays here, Sunday nights at small group, different Bible studies going on, and we heartily amen it. Chris will say something from the pulpit, and in our brains we're saying, amen, that is true. And yet we go home, and all of a sudden it goes, and we don't obey it. So it's taking the truth of that scripture and going, okay, how does Rachel need to apply that scripture in this moment. How do I need to shape and mold my thinking to come underneath the truth of what that scripture says? How am I embracing it? How am I loving it? And how am I letting that love and that embracing flow out through my thoughts, my heart, my actions? So memorizing and applying appropriate scriptures. Number six, then we need to cultivate the practice of prayer. prayer. Excellent. Because ladies, can you have dependence on the Holy Spirit if you don't pray? Can you apply the gospel and, and deeply think on those truths and pour out thanksgiving to Christ because of what he has done on the cross if you don't pray? Can you gain that encouragement, that comfort, that strength that we need if we don't pray? And then in number seven, involve one or a few other believers with you. One of the subtle um, lies of sin is this is just between me and God, and I'll just take care of it in myself and... Yes, there is wisdom on what you share with people and whom you share it with and who you choose as your accountability partner. But if you allow sin to kind of isolate you and pick you off and say, well, this is just between me and God and nobody else needs to know and I'm just going to, you know, cover it and, and I'll just confess it, especially if it's a sin that you have also horizontally, you've sinned against somebody else, but you just say, well, I don't want to bring it up, so I'm just going to confess to God and move forward. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Really good at justifying that sometimes, right? Especially in our close relationships. Relationships with our siblings. Relationship with, if you're younger, your parents. Well, sometimes not even when you're younger, when you're older and your parents. Or your husband-wife relationship. 
where you sin against that person over and over and over again, but you just wipe away and go, no, I'll just, I'll just confess it to God and I'll do better next time. And then they'll see that I'm doing better. But we don't confess it to them. And then say, will you help me? If it's that close relationship, will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you keep me accountable? I keep on doing this thing. Will you keep me accountable? And I will listen to you if you come to me when you're trying to keep me accountable instead of being defensive. So those, though, that pattern is just so very helpful as we're thinking through our own sin. So as, as I was get, preparing this lesson and getting things ready, I'm thinking through everything. And um, last night, you know, it just, parts of my lesson just weren't flowing how I wanted them to. So it was kind of this, and so I'm, I'm kind of getting a little more nervous and a little more nervous. And my beloved is a man of higher than normal communication needs. So he, uh, he just, he hasn't seen me all day. He just wants to talk. And I'm sitting there with my computer and I'm trying to study. And he's like, hey, hey, honey, where's this go? And I mean, sweet man's doing the dishes for me. I mean, gold star right here. But I'm just like, it goes the same place it's been since we've moved in this house in 2004. So, but I did good. I just calmly told him where it went and it was fine. And then a little bit later, he sits down and he's like, hey, can you help me? I'm his tech support. Can you help me with this? And he couldn't even describe it. But I need to do this and so with the sugar pie. Do you really need it right now? Because I'm trying, I mean, I'm actively, I've got books spread out, computer on my lap. I'm trying to think through a transition. If you don't know what that is, come to LBI. We'll teach you transitioning from one point to the next. <sighs> okay. <sighs> Sweetheart, is that really necessary right now? Oh, no, no, it's fine. So finally, like the brain, my brain, it used to be when I was younger, I could push through and get stuff done. Not so much anymore. Now it's like at a certain point, my brain, the function just starts decreasing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be done for right now. In the morning, it will be better. It will be fine. Once I get some sleep, all will be well. And I'm sure that will kink itself out and it'll be fine in my lesson. It'd be fine. So I'm like, I'm going to go to bed and get some sleep. But when I'm a little bit nervous, sleep does not come easy. And so my mind's worrying on trying to, okay, how am I going to explain that? How am I going to tie that all together? And then Ron came to bed. And the cat jumped on Ron. We have a new cat. Usually I prefer for the door to stay shut because I do not prefer said cat to be on our bed. It's a new little kitten. Um, it's my son's cat. And so Ron proceeds to play with the cat in bed. And I had just drifted off to sleep. Oh, ladies, the anger. Immediately. I did not say this out loud, but inside I'm going, are you even kidding me? 
I have been so patient with you all night long, trying to put your preferences above my own. You flat know I communicated that the lesson was not going well and that I was gonna go to bed so I could have fresh mine in the morning. And it's how late? And you're letting the cat jump on you and you're wiggling your foot so it'll play with your foot. And I'm just, ah! Now, I didn't say any of it out loud. I said, honey, if you wanna play with the cat, can you please go? But it was right there. Was that still sin? Yeah, because I did not deal with it on a heart level. So what should I have done in that moment? I should have applied the gospel. So Christ has done so much for me. Yes, I want sleep, but for whatever reason, he, before the foundations of the world, has decreed that Ron was going to get in bed and play with the cat. I have the great privilege of being like Christ in this moment, in his everlasting patience. I, too, can lay hold of that patience that he has provided for me at the moment of salvation to extend kindness and grace and patience to my husband. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit right now that he will help me deal with my sinful heart as I feel these anger feelings rise up within me. And this is my fault. This is not Ron's fault. He's not doing anything inherently sinful. It is not sin to allow a cat to play with you. It's not sinful. So this is my responsibility. This is my sin. It's not his fault. So scripture tells me I am to lay hold of patience since that's the fruit of the spirit. Lord, please, will you help me have patience in this moment, even though I desire, so those little desires, they can be good ones. I desire to go to sleep. I can very calmly and patiently explain that to my husband and then I can sleep. And then I actually did talk to him about it. I told him I'd be telling you guys that story. Um, he laughed quite a bit. He was like, you weren't angry. And I'm like, I love you so much because you think so well of me. I was like, oh, I was ready to kill the cat and you. <laughs> so, um, so I can, confessing that hit to him helps him to know and be me be accountable to him of I'm really going to be working on my anger, even at a heart level. So working that through over and over and over again will weave into the fabric of our lives of not presenting ourselves available to be instruments of unrighteousness. But what do we often do? Oh, we're right there because we're right. Is it right for me to go to bed and get some sleep so my mind's fresh so I can polish up what I wanted to tell you guys this morning? Yeah, that's good and right. It's a humility. I am recognizing my body is older and frail and just needs that sleep because it's shutting down. I'm not stubbornly like, I'm going to do it. So, but... My responses, my gut reactions, are we so saturating our minds with scripture so that when life squeezes in on us and puts pressure on us, what's squeezing out is the gospel and scripture and prayer and dependence on the Holy Spirit. 
And then are we being accountable to someone of, I have a particular problem with this right here. Would you pray for me? And then maybe once in a while, we'll text each other and see how each other's doing on this particular thing. Or I'm going to try to memorize this verse. Will you be my accountability partner and ask me, hey, say your verse to me, things of that nature. So that way we are sisters. We have to stick together. We have to encourage each other along the way. That is why God gave us a church family. And it has to be local church family. We're rubbing shoulders with each other. We're seeing each other face to face. What a treasure that we have in each other. But do we trust each other enough? And are we mature enough to be able to share things with each other to gain help? But that's why our loving Heavenly Father gave us each other so that we could encourage each other along the way to be a good testimony in front of each other, to learn from each other. You're going to have viewpoints of scripture that I in a million years would never even think of had I not rubbed shoulders with you and talked about the Lord and his faithfulness. So as we move forward, as we go ahead, be eager to learn from each other. Be eager to not present yourselves available to be instruments of unrighteousness. So our first two commands have been in the negative. Do not let sin reign and do not present your body as instruments of unrighteousness. But Paul switches gears in the third command to the positive. See on your outlines. But present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Look down at verse 13. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, here is where the grammar gets exciting, y'all. The first two were that present imperative. Do not keep. Do not continue. This present here is what's called an aortist imperative. Don't worry about remembering the words, but remember this. It means present once for all. So it's, it's a once for all action, not a continuing action, but a once for all action. It's also used in verse 19. We'll get there. Oh, actually, we're going to cut off, but just remember it's, it's in verse 19 as well. So when we offer ourselves to God, present yourselves, offer ourselves to God It's a, as those alive from the dead. This is a once for all. When speaking of this kind of attitude and resisting temptation, Wilhelm S. Albrockel said it indicated a few things. So this kind of attitude, what does it in, indicate? It indicates a knowledge and an acknowledgement the sinfulness of our heart and our weakness to resist temptations. It also indicates a hatred and an aversion for sin and a fear for falling into sin. It also communicates a love for communion with God, which affected and obscured by a falling into sin, as well as a love for the honor of God's name. So not only do we have that fear of, I don't want to sin against the Lord. I don't want to fall into sin, but I know the sinfulness of my own heart. But it's also, but I 
love to spend time with the Lord and I don't want sin to obscure and affect that relationship. And I want to honor God's name. It also shows a faith in God's care for his own and in God's omnipotence to give us strength to subdue the enemies in their assaults, as well as faith in the goodness of God as rendering him willing to do this and his veracity, his ability to be able to follow it through, his veracity that he will do it, having promised to hear and answer prayer. So not only do we recognize, okay, I am so sinful and I don't want to fall into sin. I love God. I want to commune with God. I want to be faithful in that. I don't want to dishonor his name. So I will follow through. I will focus on the fact that God is good and he is faithful and he will do what he said he will do. And he can even do it in me. Even though I know the wickedness of my heart. I know the selfishness and the self-absorbedness of me. So how does scripture say to move forward in that? Well, Romans 12, 1 through 2 gives us a starting point. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we are looking at these things, as we are not presenting our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, not allowing sin to reign in our mortal bodies, we are focusing on being instruments of righteousness. We take our thoughts captive. Okay, how am I thinking about this situation? How am I reacting to others around me? Am I following scripture? Am I applying scripture to my own life in this particular instance? Am I focusing on my own emotions and my own thoughts and viewing scripture through that lens? Like I have this need, so I'm going to look up and then, okay, good. Scripture affirms what I already think. Or are we reading scripture and saying, I was not thinking about it that way. And we are taking what we think and we shape and mold it and tuck it under in submission to what scripture is saying. So Paul's three commands about who we serve, not letting sin reign, stop presenting ourselves to unrighteousness, but to be instruments of righteousness is wrapped up in the reminder he gives that number two on your outlines, who you obey is who you serve. Who you obey is who you serve. Look down at verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. 
Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? We'll stop right there and keep going in a minute. But here we've got a contrast. We are not under the law, but we are under grace. But he says, just in case you think, again, he's, he's speaking to both Jews and Gentiles. Jews really struggled with, we are no longer under the law, not the ceremonial law, not the law of Moses. We are under grace now. We don't have to follow ceremonial food laws and the other laws. We are under the law of grace. You have to understand, completely life-changing because they had shaped their whole lives around the law. When they had holidays, when they did certain things, when they ate certain foods, how, what foods they ate. All those things wrapped around the law. And here, it's totally wiped away. Now for us, most I think almost all of us, I'm looking around, I don't see anybody of a Jewish flavor. So all of us are Gentiles. We don't worry about that. We don't have to keep the law. We are under grace. But... Do we not still struggle with a little bit of legalism? Little bit of, but, you know, scripture says this. So therefore, this, 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 and this. And if I execute this list, then I'm godly. So something to think about if you struggle with that, that form of legalism. Um, this is Mike Riccardi. He did um, a sermon on uh, scripture sufficiency for sanctification. He said... And so, without exception, if you struggle with that legalism, you focus on these external traditions, and it sucks the life and vitality out of true worship, out of real holiness. And holiness is reconceived as formalism. Just going through the motions of external behaviors and rituals without the genuine affection, without the genuine love that marks true obedience. In Matthew 15, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for that very thing as well. He quotes Isaiah 29, 13 and says in Matthew 15, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So ladies, for some of us, we need to guard ourselves. Am I treating my little list of rules, whatever rules I have come up with, as pure doctrine? And then looking at others and going, mm, if they don't keep the list of rules that I have come up with, is it sucking the vitality out of my life? Am I obeying from the heart, from a heart truly committed to him? Or am I just following a list of rules. And as long as I look good on the outside, then I'm good. I'm happy. But if I don't look good on the outside, oh, I'm vexed on the inside, especially if other people think poorly of me. Whoo! Then I'm really in turmoil on the inside. Now, I'm not worried about what God thinks. I'm just worried about what everybody else thinks or what I think about myself. Do you see how that's so subtly... It presents itself like you're obeying, you're reading scripture, you're following these rules. And yet 
we subtly turn that switch and we're more worried about our performance than we are focused on the grace and the gift that God gives us in the cross. Just that subtle, subtle switch. Now, that doesn't mean we don't follow Scripture and we don't obey Scripture. So um, Martin Luther, it's hilarious, he describes the church as a drunk man trying to get on a horse. He tries to get up one way and falls off, and then he gets up and falls off on the other side. So Paul also kind of has that contrast there. You know, we're not under the law, but under grace. But should we sin because we are not under the law and under grace? May it never be. So sometimes we can be tempted. Oh, God will forgive. It's fine. I know I wrestle a little bit, but it's fine. God will forgive me. And we have the sin of presumptuousness. We just presume upon God's grace. Now, one way that can bleed out, this is just one of many ways, but one that I thought was just so very helpful when thinking through this. Um, again, this is Mike Riccardi. He said, the key to sanctification, um, according to some people, is to cease striving for holiness and to passively yield yourself up to God to sanctify as he pleases. This is the let go and let God approach to sanctification. This is the idea that the reason you're struggling to be holy is because you're struggling to be holy. The, uh, you need to surrender. You need to recognize that you're entirely unable to affect your sanctification at all. You just need to sort of melt into a passive puddle of goo that the Lord will reshape himself by his sanctifying hand, not by yours. And once you have figured out how to adequately surrender, you will live on this higher plane of spiritual victory. You're no longer a carnal Christian, but you're on a level of sanctification that was previously unattainable unattainable when you were struggling to make yourself holy by your efforts. And that undermines scripture's sufficiency and sanctification. Because when that's your model for the pursuit of holiness, all your focus turns away from the objective revelation of scripture and from the Christ that scripture reveals and puts that focus inward on yourself. You say, why? Because when you say, stop striving, just yield and surrender, you start striving to yield and surrender. You try not to try, and then you're flung into this morass of your own heart, and you tie yourself in knots trying to figure out whether your efforts were fleshly or spiritual, whether you're genuinely surrendering, or if you're only trying to genuinely surrender, and it's in the flesh, rather than going to the text of scripture, to hear the voice of your God, and then set out to obey it. You hop on this hamster wheel of assessing your own emotions, and you spend so much time on that hamster wheel that you don't ever actually spend too much time obeying. Or you eventually become so exhausted by all that introspection that you despair of any real process, and you make peace with your sin. Hmm. You're hopelessly sinful after all. 
and you have Jesus's perfect righteousness credited to your account for justification, and you'll be holy when you're glorified and not before then. And so one way or another, the sanctification process is just fatally hamstrung. So you just give up. Or I have seen the opposite where you don't give up and you reach that higher plane of spirituality and then you look down at all other Christians going, oh, but I'm up here. I have a special connection to our Heavenly Father. You just haven't ascended yet. Don't worry. You'll get there. No. That's so wicked. That's so arrogant. We are a family. We are together. We are pushing each other along. We strive together for the gospel. We strive together to encourage, equip, move each other along. So are we to examine ourselves? Yes. But we are to strive for holiness. So either side of that fence, that legalism is very rigid. Very, you must follow these rules. And then you have that puddle of goo where it's the other side. You just let go and let God, and he's going to do what he wants. No, bring it to the middle. We depend on the Holy Spirit, but we roll up our sleeves and we obey what Scripture has said, trusting that the Holy Spirit will empower us to give us strength, to fight off sin, to put off those sinful habits and put on righteousness in its stead. So one of the commentaries said, grace does not free us to do anything we want. It does not provide the opportunity to live apart from all restrictions. Freedom is not the exercise of unlimited spontaneity. It means to be set free from the bondage of sin in order to live in a way that reflects the nature and character of God. That is why we are set free. That is why we move forward. That is what it means to live in grace, not under the law. So in reminding us that who we obey is who we serve, Paul gives some contrast in the results to that obedience. A on your outline, sin produces death. Going back to verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death. And later on in Romans, Paul repeats this truth to drive it home in Romans eight thirteen. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. So if sin produces death, then B, obedience produces righteousness. Obedience produces righteousness. Again, looking down at verse 16, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, when we think about the word righteousness, where we want obedience resulting in righteousness, my catechism moms, what is righteousness? Yell it out. I know one person who knows it. It is God's goodness. Yay! So that's a, in Kingdom Kids, we learn catechisms, questions back and forth. But what is righteousness? It is God's goodness. The righteousness that we produce cannot induce boasting on our part since we have no goodness of our own. It is the Holy Spirit-empowered obedience that shapes and molds us into the image of Christ. We would not long and desire to be holy as God is holy if we did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, convicting of sin and leading us into all truth. So this should make us to proclaim C on your outline. Thanks goes to God. Thanks goes to God. Look down at verse 17. Paul proclaims, but thanks be to God. It also reminded me of 2 Corinthians 9.15 where he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But why is Paul giving God thanks? Thanks. Number one, he's thankful that they were obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. He says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. That word heart there is the center of a person's thoughts, volition, emotions, and conscience. And that phrase from the heart means sincerely, truly, wholeheartedly. So there's no pretense there. Ephesians 5.8 says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So this obedience, ladies, is from the inside out. It's not an outward behavior modification, so we toe the line you know, clean ourselves up so we can get right with God. No, it's the other way around. You confessed, trusting that he is faithful and will forgive you of that sin and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then you walk forward in obedience, trusting, a little bit what we learned about last week, trusting that he has forgiven. I can have joy. I do not need to cower before my heavenly father. I can walk forward knowing I'm forgetting, knowing that Christ paid every drop of that wrath on the cross for that sin. And my next one, and my next one. So I can walk forward in obedience. I can renew my desire to conquer the sin that indwells and to be able to bring glory to Christ's name. And again, always remember, repentance brings glory too. So if you're discouraged and you're like, but all I'm doing is saying I'm sorry to God every 20 minutes, then you're bringing God glory every 20 minutes. It is a joyful thing when we humble ourselves, when we say, I can't do this, because you're right, you can't. You do need to rely on the Holy Spirit. 
you do need to trust that God forgives. Again, he is incapable of annoyance at you because he's incapable of impatience. Just because we respond that way does not mean our Heavenly Father responds that way. Something we need to preach to ourselves over and over and over again because oftentimes we don't go to him to repent because we think that he's like us and he's annoyed. So we kind of do the avoid eye contact. I'm just going to do my thing and after a while I'll go confess. It's so silly. Number one, God knows your heart. God knows your mind. When you start preaching truth to yourself of Rachel, why are you avoiding eye contact? He can see inside you. He knows what you're doing. And he is not who you have just made him out to be. Are you going to trust how he has revealed his character in his word? Or are you going to base what you think about him on your own reasoning? Well, this is how I react. So apparently that's how God's going to react too. It's just kind of a gut reaction. We don't even think through it. We just act. How much better to run to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in the time of need, right? So much smarter, but sometimes we kind of go mentally insane in our own sin. We just kind of lose reason. It's when we center our minds on the truth of God's word and the truth of who he is and actually change our thoughts, our hearts, and our actions according to that, that this gets really exciting. So that's what I want to encourage your hearts we're about to go to battle together on sin. It will get discouraging at times. Do not be discouraged. Apply the gospel to yourself. There is no wrath left for me. Christ paid it on the cross. I can freely run with confidence to the throne of grace to repent, get strength, keep on going. Okay, speaking of keeping on going. Jeremiah Johnson said, dying to our sin then is the first step in the process of sanctification. It's the process through which the spirit refines us, killing off the remnants of our former self, our sinful habits, tastes, and desires, and replacing them with godly affections and inclinations. It's the active, ongoing transformation of your heart, mind, and entire self, beginning at the moment of salvation and continuing throughout the remainder of your life. So there was obedience from the heart, which was able to accomplish, able to be accomplished because they were, number two, committed to teaching. Number two, he was giving thanks because they were committed to teaching. Paul says in 17, but thank, thanks be to God that... Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. The idea here is that the teaching to which they had heartily yielded themselves had stamped its own impress on them. They were hearing the teaching, they were committed to that hearing the teaching, and then they were allowing the teaching to stamp onto them and form them and then they were obedient from the heart because of tucking under that teaching. Not only were they obedient from the heart, accomplished by their commitment to teaching, but also they were now number three, freed 
to serve. Freed to serve. Eight, look down at 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So again, freedom from sin does not mean, oh, finally, I'm free from sin. Now I can go do what I want. This is great. No, now we have the privilege of serving a loving and gracious king who rules over us. And out of a deep gratitude for what he has done on the cross from freeing us from the sin and death, we live joyfully for him. It's a privilege to serve the king. So if you feel that his law is burdensome, could it be that maybe your focus is on the law and rule keeping and not on Christ? So um, Henry Skugel reminds us as we're going through that all the art and industry of man cannot form the smallest herb or make a stalk of corn to grow in the field it is God who causes the grass to grow and the herb for the service of man. And yet nobody will say that the labors of the farmer are useless or unnecessary. Only God causes the growth and the fruitfulness. And yet nobody runs out to Nebraska to the farmer and say, what are you doing? Plowing up the fields and making sure all rocks are out of the fields and fertilizing correctly, make sure your pH balance is in the soil for the crop that you're about to grow. Nobody criticizes a farmer to do that. Nobody shakes their finger, but God's the one that's going to make it grow, so what are you doing? No. We need to roll up our sleeves, recognizing, just like John Newton said, we are oaks. The growth is going to be slow but we trust that God is moving. And even when our oak looks dead because it's winter, there's harshness, there's coldness. God is strengthening the root, making sure we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. So as we move forward this semester, as we attack these different sins, let's make sure we are thinking through, am I being patient with myself? Am I being patient with the process? Am I applying the gospel? Am I doing that nice um, list that Jerry did? Bookmark it in your book if you have to. Go back to it. Weave it into the fabric of your life. So that way, instead of reacting to life, you're jumping straight to that because it's become a habit. Let's pray.